Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. How are you doing this afternoon, evening, morning, whatever it is that you are partaking in as you are listening to this podcast called 100 Words or Less. I am your ever-present host, Ray Harkins. We are deep, deep into the catalog of people who are involved in independent music. These are people who are, you know, in bands. These are people who run record labels. These are people who have been influenced by this whole scene, this whole DIY culture of punk and hardcore and indie rock and whatever, playing in front of zero people on tour. And these are all uh, common experiences that, uh, you know, inform us and make us who we are. And that's what I'm trying to showcase, that all of us are kind of from that, that cut from that same cloth, you know. And this person today is definitely one of them, a, a newer generation, as it were. So her name is Lauren Cashin. She is, or Kashan Cashin, I think that's what it is. K-A-S-H-A-N. So yeah, because Kashan sounds like, I don't know, that just doesn't sound right. Cashin. There we go. So Lauren is a vocalist for a band called Sharptooth, who recently just did a huge run on Warp Tour, the last Warp Tour, uh, and I saw them play. And I, I'll, I'll be the f- very first person to admit it. I kind of watched Sharptooth from afar and saw them. I saw them play. They were on tour with uh, Anti Flag. But w- hold on, uh, more thoughts in a moment. I want to get the thing that you need to know in your head immediately, and that is band merch, right? I actually, uh, I, I sold something recently on a Facebook group and people are like, dude, why are you selling this like old merch of yours? And I'm like, when you have 300 plus band shirts, it becomes almost unmanageable <laughs> to not only move the stuff, but then figure out what you're wearing on a daily basis It's crazy. So, but I want to be the person that is getting you more band merch because everybody needs that, including myself rockabilia.com. It is the best place to buy all of your officially licensed band merch, high quality stuff, great customer service, fast shipping, like everything that you need from an online retailer, they deliver in spades. And I'm going to give you this code PC Jabberjaw. That will give you 15% off. And I love it so, so much. I got an excess shirt from them a long time ago. Well, a long time ago, like a couple months ago. And uh, it was great. I just love it. And they have... 500,000 items for you to choose from, from everything from like pop culture stuff to band stuff to whatever it is you need. Go to rockabilly.com. You will be probably shocked because some of you have been like, oh yeah, maybe I've seen their ads here and there, but it's not until you dive into the site where you realize the breadth of stuff that they offer. So PC Jabberjaw, 15% off. Do it right now. Okay. Just press pause, buy some merch, come back. Um, 
so yeah, Lauren, like I said, and she's the vocalist for Sharp Tooth, like I mentioned before. But Sharp Tooth, I, I kind of watched from afar. I was like, okay, cool. They signed with Pure Noise, and you know, it's like a politically charged female-fronted hardcore band. I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm kind of you know putting them in in categories in my head, and uh, you know, a lot of the the talk around them, uh, mostly on the internet. Maybe this is just you know me kind of judging them before I really even listen to them was, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I looked at it being a little, a little sticky where it's not like the idea of being a politically charged hardcore band is going to, you know, get you, uh, recognition or people paying attention to what you're doing, but you know, it can inspire some sort of like, oh yeah, I'll check this band out. So I kind of, like I said, I watched them from far. I saw them. They were on tour with, uh, my friends in anti-flag and straight from the path. I saw them. I was like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. And I was, I really enjoyed some of the things that, uh, the vocalist Lauren said on stage, but you know, I still was kind of like, eh, okay. Like I, I just, I just, for whatever reason, this may be just like me being an old judgmental person. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I haven't feel like they uh, have uh, passed the smell test for me yet. And I'll, I, like I said, I will be the first person to admit it, completely judged a book by its cover, and they absolutely pass the smell test. They believe what they say. Musically, they're forced to be reckoned with. Um, and I, yeah, for whatever preconceived notions I had of them, um, they were shattered not only after seeing them at Warp Tour, but then getting to know Lauren a little bit more. And so I hope this conversation informs you from that perspective. Because, you know, some of you may just be like, like oh, Sharp Tooth, whatever. Like, I don't really care about that band. You're doing yourself a disservice, okay? Just trust me, because I might have been in your position, you know, a couple months ago. And uh, yeah, my, my eyes have been wide opened now. Um, because Lauren goes real deep on some pretty traumatic events in her life. We talk about cults. And, um, this isn't a light topic. Like we definitely get really, really deep into, uh, like I said, a traumatic event that happened in her life. And I actually would recommend there is another podcast that I am a huge fan of that I've actually had one of the co-hosts on this very show, Alex Goldman. He hosts a podcast along with again, the guy named PJ vote, uh, called reply all. And there's in particular a uh, episode called pain funnel, which I will link to in the show notes. And you need to listen to it because this will really inform some of the conversation that Lauren and I have about her experience uh, with essentially a cult and like a substance abuse uh, treatment facility. And it is, uh, it gets, it gets real in there. This is a huge business and, uh, it's exploiting people in ways that, uh, it's just horrific, you know? So Lauren was kind enough to share her experience and uh, also talk about the band and a bunch of other stuff. But, um, yeah, the, just, a, just a trigger warning for those of you that, uh, have had a traumatic experience, either tangentially related to a cult related to something that, uh, you know, is uh, you, you were, you know, forced into a situation that you were not comfortable with. Um, you know, these are all things that we're going to be discussing. So I just wanted to be upfront with all of you from that perspective because, uh, yeah, I know that's a traumatic thing. I've never experienced it personally. So, you know, I don't want to, uh, to make light of this, you know, this, and I also, this isn't trying to be sensational. Like people will probably share this episode because this story is uh, so compelling, but I promise I am not being sensational in the fact, uh, because I, frankly, I had no idea that Lauren went through this, but, uh, as we dove in, it was like, I, I have to, you know, talk, talk to her more and more about this and ask a lot of follow-up questions. So anyways, that is all. Now here is Lauren, and I will talk to you when the episode is over to tell you about what's coming on next week, okay? Here we go.
you know, I, I actually saw you with uh, Anti-Flag and Straight From The Path in Orange County because that's where I'm from. Um, and I, I, you know, Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so sick. Yeah, the obser- at the observatory. I've that's just, exciting. Yeah, I've known the Anti-Flag guys and the Straight From The Path guys for years and years. So, um, But, you know, I... I They're my favorite people. <laughs> great, great, great human. I love them so yes. much. Yes. Um, oh, my God. But at like, you know, I, I am uh, of the age where, you know, I'm 37 years old and like, you know, going to, you know, punk and hardcore shows is like, I mean, that's always going to be who I am. But like as a uh, yeah. you know older person <laughs> that goes to shows and then, you know, sees a you know younger band such as, you know, what you are doing. And it, it's awesome because, you know, clearly there is an agenda. There is an opinion that is being, you know, uh, put out into the world. Um, and so that makes, that makes me happy because, you know, clearly bands don't have to do that anymore and they can be, you know, successful in their own way. But, um, but I, the, the sort of, you know, uh, devil's advocate, uh, nature of my head where it sometimes goes is like, do people kind of point to, you know, what it, uh, what you guys are as a band and look at it and be like, Oh, this is kind of like gimmicky you know it's like oh yeah like you know female fronted hardcore band that has like strong political opinions and whatever and like oh yeah like i get where they're coming from um do you like have you heard that or have you seen that sort of criticism um you know kind of uh pushed against you in a way or do you just basically just like oh i don't care about that that's that's their opinion um a little bit of both i kind of don't care because that's having opinions and having strong in particular political opinions is what the genre was founded on in the first place. I mean, that's literally like punk and hardcore came from those roots of being pissed off about shit that was going on like around people and around like their world. It's funny to me because they're like, Oh, like if anybody thinks that uh, a woman having an angry opinion is a gimmick, then isn't like the entire genre a fucking gimmick. Um, just with a different, like, other genders. I don't know. It just seems really silly to me. I'm like, you know, like, oh, it's a bunch of bunch of dudes getting on stage and screaming about shit that they're mad about in the world. It's like, I'm just doing the same thing, but I'm talking about a lot of issues that maybe haven't been touched upon as much just because of the lack of representation in the genre. So kind of like, yeah, if you want to think it's a gimmick, that's fine. I guess we're not for you. I guess then any political band might not be for you. Um, and there's certainly plenty of them uh, that are active right now and taking strong stances on things. We just got off a, that huge tour with a bunch of them. So, right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, I just, if, I, 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 if, I just, if someone's inclined to just go like, oh, it's a gimmick, I'm like, yeah, we're probably not for you. And that's okay. Like, go listen to whatever palatable bullshit you want to listen to. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I, I mean, you know, the, the criticism definitely gets levied against bands that, you know, the, the whole preaching to the choir argument where it's like, you know, yes, like you said, the foundation of this music scene was built off of subculture and um, you know, divisive opinions and saying that, you know, the status quo or the norms aren't something that they follow with. But then, you know, shouting, yep. shouting in a room full of people that, you know, echo a lot of your same sentiments, like, you know, what, uh, what difference is that making or whatever? So, you know, that criticism has always existed. Like, does that, um, does that resonate? Yeah. Does that resonate with you at all? I, it does. Like, there's definitely times where I will feel like, yeah, pretty much everybody in this room is hearing things that they 
you know, probably agree with, you know, if I'm playing a show up in Baltimore and I'm, I'm saying fuck Donald Trump, like, you know, for the most part, the hardcore scene in Baltimore is probably going to go, yeah, fuck Donald Trump. But there are a lot of other things that we talk about that I think get into a lot more of the nuances of some of those opinions. And uh, I think that I don't think that we're, you know, going for, for easy, you know, we're not going for the easy, like agreeable topics. Like, you know, I talk about sexual violence at a lot of our shows, but I don't just talk about like, oh, we need to, I don't go kill all rapists. That's not something you will ever hear me say. And I'm not saying, like, we need to out all the predators in the scene. I'm going up there and saying, hey, you know, this is a systemic issue. And the solution also lies in each and every one of us. So we need to be doing the difficult work of not pointing fingers at each other, but looking at ourselves and saying, where have I contributed to rape culture? I guarantee you, any, any person in any room that I will ever play, myself and my band included, have done things in our past that have been problematic or have contributed to rape culture. It's very fucking easy to point the finger at Brock Turner and Harvey Weinstein, but it's a lot harder to look in a mirror and say, okay, when did I, when did I not ask for consent? Like when could I have been better at that? So I like to think that, you know, we're talking about a lot of issues that are on like people's minds right now, but I'd like to think that we're getting into some of the nuances of it. Like when, for example, when we talk about mental illness, I'm not just like, oh, yeah, don't kill yourself. Uh, depression and anxiety are really hard, and they're things I've struggled with. I like to talk about, hey, we need to get better at how we treat people with less, like, with way more heavily stigmatized mental illnesses, like bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder and addiction. There's still so much fucking controversy over addiction and the way that people talk about it. And people say, is it a disease? Is it a choice? Like, that's still something that people are arguing about constantly. So I... I never expect to walk into a room and have everyone agree with me. I'd be shocked if everyone did. And I, I tell people, I'm like, hey, if you hate every word that comes out of my mouth, come and have a conversation with us. We're hanging out the whole show. Like, we're here to be at a show. So come and talk to us about it. Like, we don't grow as activists and as artists if we're just saying, here's my opinion, fuck yours. I want to talk to people and I want to learn about the issues that they think need to be heard. So yeah. that's, that's where I think it inherently differs from the whole preaching from the choir thing. I'm not getting up on a pedestal and saying, this is my opinion and fuck you if you don't like it, but you probably all agree. No, it's like, you know, we're talking about some weird, complicated, nuanced shit. You know, nothing's black and white. And that's what I try to put out to people. No, so. that, that, that that's cool. I appreciate that approach. Cause I do think that, that it's, um, you know, not, not only does it become sort of self-perpetuating, you know, cyclical conversations that, yeah, like, you know, you're just living in an echo chamber, but then, yeah, there are differing opinions that, um, like you said, there's, you know, the nuance in the gray area is where most people live and feel, um, you know, comfortable with. Yeah. And only when other people have these discussions are opinions solidified more into something that, you know, it, it resembles an actual belief, you know? So that's, uh, that's cool. I, 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 I absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that a lot. No, I appreciate it. And like I said, I, I, I wasn't trying to, uh, you know, come at you being like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I've, yeah, I've heard I've heard your band stuff before, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, just trying to play yeah. the, uh, you know, <laughs> the old guy get off my lawn part <laughs> first and foremost. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's so funny because people I think people look at Sharp Tooth as being like this kind of like polarizing, like aggressive band. But it's like if you bother to actually look at anything that we're doing, we'll talk to anybody. And we can come to like a mutual understanding. At the end of the day, we're all people just kind of trying our best. And uh, you know, if we can't share ideas with each other and like be earnest and open and vulnerable with each other, then like what's the point? So that's something that I at least try to bring to it. Obviously, like I'm a person and I probably don't do a great job all the time, but you know, like I've sat down with Trump supporters and had amazing conversations about like where they're coming from. And like the thing, they're like strongly held beliefs. And, you know, it's interesting. It, for me, music has always just been about connecting with people and expressing ourselves. So I feel like at the end of the day, I'm, I think I'm doing that. Yeah, so. no, totally. <laughs> yeah. It's it, no matter what sort of, um, philosophical backbone that you are, uh, you know, coming from or espousing when you do break down those, um, you know, I, I wouldn't call them barriers, but when you do break break down a person to like literally just talk to them. It's like, Oh, like, yeah, I may not agree with them, but like, I get, you know, why they're coming from where they're coming from. And that, you know, that, yeah, that nuance is lost in a lot of not only scenes, but the world in general. So yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. So kind of, you know, kind of flipping the focus more to you as a person. Um, you know, you, uh, were you born and raised in Baltimore or where did you kind of come up? So I was born in Camden, New Jersey. I'm adopted. And, uh, my, my birth parents were from that area, like the Philly area. And, uh, so I was born in Camden and adopted like immediately. Um, I never met my birth parents or anything like that and moved. I grew up, spent my whole life in Baltimore. Um, got it. You know, my dad's a podiatrist and my mom was a secretary for a long time. And, uh, so yeah, I have were, a brother. Were they, um, what, uh, I mean, clearly they, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're not your biological parents, but you're, uh, I was about to say, I always, adoptive. Use, right. Adoptive parents. Yeah. Cause I, 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 always, yes. I, I have a stepfather and like, I call my, you know, my biological father, like my real father, but I'm like, Oh, that doesn't, yeah. So I was just trying to figure out the right terminology. Um, yeah, they're my adopt. I mean, I call them, they're my parents. Like if I'm talking about my parents, it's, Dr. Brian Cashin and Carol Cashin. Like, those are my parents. They're the people who raised me. They put up with all my bullshit and I put up with theirs. And yeah. that's that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, I'm yeah. super tight with them. So That's cool. That's cool. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm guessing that they were, um, you know, and you said you have a brother as well? Yeah, I have a younger brother. He's a, he just graduated from medical school. So wow. he's doing, he's doing all right. Yeah. He's yeah. three years younger than me. And uh, his name's David. Nice. And, yeah, I was the the older tomboy sister who, like, me and my brother, we just basically ran the neighborhood our whole lives. We'd come up with, like, all the neighborhood games, and, like, it was, like, the two of us, and we, yeah. Were you... Pretty, uh, like, standard suburban upbringing. <laughs> got it, got it. And, like, is he your biological brother, or is he your uh, uh, stepbrother or whatever? <laughs> I don't know what you would He's, call it. He's my, so he's not my biological brother. So okay. he is, he's the son of 
my he's the son of my parents. Um, I'm the only adopted person. My parents didn't think they could have kids, so that's they, why they adopted me. Then, surprise, turns out they could, and uh, that's where David showed up. Um, I actually never, I never knew my uh, my birth family until about like three months ago. <laughs> um, through the adoption agency, everything is like basically you have to go to them and be like, Hey, I want to, I want to contact my birth parents. Like I've always known, known I was adopted. It was like never a big deal to me. Um, my parents, I guess started telling me when I was like, <laughs> I couldn't even talk so that it would never have to be a discussion. Um, but yeah, like I've always known I was adopted, always been like cool with it. Right. Um, but there are certain biological things that happen when you are adopted that have, kind of interesting effects on a adopted children's psychology. Um, I don't know if you've ever met anyone, like I'm sure you've talked to other people who are adopted, but there's, there's definitely certain like problems or uh, like thought, thought like patterns and like behavioral things that like adopted folks will have regardless of their situation, regardless of when they were adopted and like that kind of thing. Um, but particularly for, people who are adopted at like a very young age, there are certain hormones that don't basically aren't getting like shared through a lot of times they're shared through like breast milk from like the biological mother breastfeeding and like that kind of thing. There's certain hormones that don't get expressed. And as such, like a lot of times people who are adopted tend to develop like different, like certain patterns of thinking. So basically I have, major fucking abandonment issues (laughs) that like I never that like I never knew why it was just kind of like everyone in my life is going to leave me and I'm always going to be alone so yeah but like there have been there's been nothing in my life that like would make me think that like obviously like my parents like have always been like you've always been wanted we've all like my parents are the best parents in the fucking universe but yeah there's certain biochemical things that happen with adopted kids um that end up making us a little weird sometimes. Yeah, so yeah. that's me. Hi. No, yeah, no, I, no, I really appreciate that because I, I do think that they're, um, it, just in the same way that, you know, people can, uh, you know, cast characterization on, you know, a large family or an only child. And, you know, like you said, sure. adopted children, like everyone kind of, you know, has these, these, uh, you know, archetypes that are built in their head. Um, but I mean, it does make sense what you're talking about. Um, I, you know, a, a friend of mine was, uh, you know, was adopted as well. And like, you know, uh, she wasn't able to, um, express it in those terms that you just did. But like now you expressing that, I was like, Oh, I see why, like, you know, she, it took her a long time to, like, XYZ, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, to, to trust people or to like let people in or whatever. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah I get that. That makes sense. Oh yeah. 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 I, uh, it's funny cause I never really had, I can never really put my finger on a lot of those things until like fairly recently. Like I've been in therapy my whole life cause I'm fucking nuts. Um, in a fun way. Uh, so like I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of five. Um, my therapist now has since told me that I probably don't actually have ADHD, um, that a lot of my symptoms were coping mechanisms for abandonment issues and like adoption stuff. Um, but yeah, I've been in therapy like most of my life. I've had like depression, anxiety. Um, I had like really bad substance abuse problems in high school. And like now I'm basically kind of like, okay, I think there's a lot of shit that I haven't dealt with just in my life and uh, some pretty, like, traumatic stuff. So my therapist that I work with now, like, she 
is the person who kind of helped me make some of those connections to like the adoption stuff. And she's like, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of biological stuff going on there. And I like, I'm a biologist, so I like biological explanations for, for life phenomenon. So I was like, that makes sense to me. Right. Right. No, that's, that's, uh, that's cool. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's very, um, it's awesome to hear the fact that, you know, you clearly were in a supportive household and the, uh, notions of being able to, you know, get you, uh, help and get you a person to, um, you know, speak to and deal with like that's, um, you know, sometimes like parents don't, um, parents only go to that solution when it's like, uh, you know, almost feels like a last resort, you know, but it sounds like, yeah, uh, it, it sounds like that there was, no, uh, I feel, go ahead. I feel so fortunate in that like therapy and like all of that was like very normalized in like my community growing up and in my house growing up like that. It wasn't a weird thing to have to take medication. It wasn't like a stigmatized thing to have to see a therapist. I feel like it was just like, kind of like, yeah, that's what people do when they need help. And, you know, coming from that and then, you know, you, you go around the, the country and you, you realize very quickly that, that's not the case for a lot of people. And that's one of the reasons I talk about like mental illness, like stigmatization and like medication stigma. Like there's so much stigma against like actually getting better and like getting help. And like, it's why so many people I think suffer for so long with a lot of like mental illnesses. And cause yeah. like even now in 2018, it's hard for somebody to say like, Oh, like I need to see like a therapist. <laughs> Yeah. Which like, it just breaks my heart because it's so helpful. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, you know, people view it as a sign of weakness or whatever. Why can't you figure it out yourself? And it's just like, well, no, there are like you, like you mentioned, there are, (laughs) there are some things that are biologically hardwired in you. And that is not something that is easily uh, reversed, switched, changed, uh, you know, a different thing. Like that's not, you know, professionals do that. And that's why, yeah, it, it is, and that, and that's why I, you know, it's really cool to, um, see a person like you to be able to, you know, bring a voice to it, uh, you know, on stage and be like, I'm not just talking about this as a theoretical thing. Like I am through it. I am in it. Like I'm speaking from personal experience, which is awesome. Yep. I'm like, we're all here in the struggle. If you need, if like you need someone to help you point you in the right direction, like that's kind of why we exist. So, you know, I'm always, I'm such a huge advocate for therapy and for medications if it's what is going to help you. I think like, yeah, it's like, would you go to, it's like if you had a sinus infection, like, are you weak for taking like, like an antibiotic or a steroid to like help you not die from that? Like, no, it's like, I think part of the problem is, yeah, is exactly what you said. People have seen these things as weaknesses and not like biochemical issues (laughs) for a long time. So they're like, Oh, I just got to tough it out. It's like, no, you can just, there's, there are things that you can do to help increase or decrease like certain neurotransmitters in your brain. That'll help your brain function more optimally. Why not do it? Like, why not try it? Yeah. Yeah. No medication is for everyone. It's certainly not, but if it can help you, then, you know, why not look into it as an option? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so then, uh, you know, kind of like you mentioned, you, you, you and your brother were kicking around. Um, and you know, once you started to, you know, get into junior high and high school and develop, uh, you know, more of kind of who you were and your identity, um, 
you know, like, like you mentioned, you were, you know, dealing with substance abuse at the time. I presume like drugs and alcohol or was, was, uh, was one your favorite over the other, or were they both kind of, uh, interesting to you? Well, I feel like a lot of like the drugs and alcohol thing starts with kind of starts with the whole feeling like I didn't fit in. And, you know, in, in junior high, like I was very much like straight A student, like, um, I was definitely like kind of like a nerdy kid. I loved, I loved to write and I loved to read and like I wanted to be, I wanted to be an author. And that was like my thing constantly had my head in a book, but I also wanted all like the girls in like my junior high school to like me. So I dressed, you know, I wore like the little Abercrombie booty shorts that had platinum blonde streaks in my hair. Like, but you know, that wasn't, I, I really wanted to be liked but that like kind of like wasn't who I am. I was like this weird girl who liked dragons and dinosaurs and wanted to write stories about them. And uh, having that dichotomy kind of puts you in a place of feeling like, okay, well, what do I have to do to get friends? And what do I have to do to get people to like me? And, you know, when people, you know, when you're in like, you know, eighth grade or like freshman year of high school and like somebody, you're at like a, like a gathering with a bunch of friends and somebody passes you like, a smearing off ice, you're like, you're not going to say no because you desperately want these fucking kids to like you. So that was my first like foray into alcohol. My biggest problem was alcohol. Um, when I got later into high school, Coke became a really big problem for me. Um, I got kicked out of my high school. So I ended up going to a, uh, an arts high school where I was kind of able to like find myself a little bit more. And I was like, Oh, I can be like the weirdo that I am here. And it's not that weird. Like no one's going to, people aren't going to reject me from, for being myself here. And so I felt a lot more comfortable, but I think that there were issues at home with my parents, not feeling comfortable with the person that I was becoming. And a good example of this, like, you know, in high school, like we, I, I feel like probably a lot of us in like this kind of music, like I was like, you know, we're like skinny jeans and like, you know, like studded belts and like very much like the, I don't know, like was super into like bands like Taking Back Sunday and like My Chemical Romance, you know, all the emo night bands and like a lot of metalcore bands. And my mom is very much like a girly girl. And I think that watching me kind of turn into like the, the scene kid, like punk kid that I was, was a little traumatic for her. And uh, so one day for my 16th birthday, um, her present to me was a pair of pink Uggs. And I kind of looked at her like, on what planet did you think that this was the thing that I wanted? I said, you didn't buy this for me. You bought this for you. And so there was that disconnected home of feeling like I can't be myself and I'm not like, I'm not allowed to express the way that I want around here, but I can escape and go get wasted with my friends and not have to care about it anymore. So I kind of turned into the the local art school train wreck because I basically just took everything too far because I was like pretty depressed was told like pretty early on that like my ways of expressing it like weren't okay like I wasn't I wrote a lot and uh like my journals would get like confiscated and I get in trouble for like saying like that I was suicidal and stuff like that and uh I think that uh a lot of my mental illnesses were manifesting in ways that my parents weren't prepared to handle which like that's not on them like no one kind of like helps you get prepared for that 
but I definitely drank to escape a lot of those feelings. And so that was a big problem. And like, yeah, I got into Coke by the end of high school and it was mostly those things that were my biggest issues. I got kicked out of my high school and then taken back for, uh, for like, I got fucking narked on for like less than a fucking ounce or less than a, uh, <laughs> less than a gram of weed. And uh, they threw me out, and then they took me back because how fucking hypocritical is it for an art school to throw out someone who has right. weed on them? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like they like they like knew. <laughs> right, it's like the 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 pot is definitely calling the kettle black. Oh my! Like, trust me, it was like it was pretty ridiculous that they they threw me out in the first place. But it was kind of like their hands were tied, and uh, so they did it. But they took me back after like two months. Um, when I got back after being so like, you know, like you're in high school and you feel like, and you get kicked out and you're like, you feel like your fucking life is falling apart. Like nobody's making you feel better about like any of these things. And you're basically, I was being like cut off from all of my friends who like, for the most part, my friends were actually like, you know, they'd like party at parties for, with me. But like when I was like getting in over my head, like they were the first people to, to call me out on it. And they say like, Lauren, like what you're doing is kind of fucked. Like, but then I'm getting cut off from these people because, you know, the school and my parents think that my friends are the problem. It's like my friends were the only people keeping me sane. And eventually one of my, uh, one of my close friends, uh, like told my parents that I was like basically like showing up at school and getting wasted like every day. Like I was, the girl who showed up with like a water bottle full of vodka and would drink it by herself. But like, I'm also putting on this, like, Oh, on this like happy, like cutesy girly girl, like, like I'm like this little punk rock fashionista. Like I'm so like cool and badass. I'm like the, the fun train wreck. That was really my, uh, your MO, my persona. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It's like every day is a party and everyone's like, Lauren, you can't fucking do this. It's like, eight in the fucking morning on a Tuesday. <laughs> and you're like, hell yeah, I can. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, I was like, the fuck I can't. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, I ended up going to, I went to my first treatment center, uh, my senior year of high school. Um, I got like sent away for a month. It was like fine. It was like any normal inpatient treatment center where they do like the 12 steps and all that stuff. And, uh, I really did want to, I wanted to not feel the way that I was feeling, but there were a, like, for me, a lot of people think that like with addiction, like that drugs are the problem. It's not the fuck. The drugs are not the problem. Uh, it's the underlying mental illnesses and like feelings of like not being able to exist in the world that are the fucking problem. You know, it's like, if I, if I felt like, you know, a normal person every day, I wouldn't be drinking myself to death at 17. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, no. It's I, like drugs were my problem. That was my solution. <laughs> right. That that was ma that was masking everything else. I was escaping that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think that a lot of those problems, like regardless of what rehabs I went to, a lot of those problems weren't getting treated. Um, so yeah, until like we started treating like the underlying mental illnesses, and actually a lot of the problem ended up we realized like stemmed from medications that I'd been on since I was like five years old. You know, I think that people don't realize that our brains change and uh neuroplasticity is the thing. 
So I'd been on ADHD medication since the age of five at that point. And nobody realized that maybe uh, the ups and downs I was getting from the, the medication were contributing to my depression. When I stopped taking ADHD medication, a lot of my a lot of like my worst depression and anxiety symptoms at that time went away. So that's yeah. another helpful hint. Always, always check back in with your medication routine. Be like, is this actually working or am I just on it? Cause I've been on it. Right. So, is this, yeah. Is this, something this, just, that, this is just habitual. And like, is this actually making me feel different in a positive way? But, uh, yeah. It was basically giving me symptoms of, of like rapid cycling bipolar disorder, which I is not a thing that I actually have, but like being on the medication and the ups and downs from it was like, it was presenting in that way, which is so it, it was like really scary. I basically didn't know what was wrong with me for a really long time and just wanted to die. And when I was fucked up, I didn't feel like anything. Whew. Needed to take a break there for a minute, but I am here to tell you about we transfer. They are an incredible company And you've probably heard about privacy policies in the past month or so, but have you ever heard about a company that is proud of their privacy policy? WeTransfer absolutely is. They're all about making file sharing easier for everyone, and that includes being sure that you don't need to worry about your privacy. They don't sell user data, they don't snoop or spy on files, and they don't want you to know your shoe size, soft drink preference, or shopping history. WeTransfer serves ads to keep their service free, but never in that creepy I was literally just talking about that, and I think my phone is spying on me. Way. In fact, they reserve 30% of their ad space to showcase the work of artists from around the world. It's their way of making the internet a nicer, simpler, more beautiful place. Come on, who, who doesn't need that? Start sending files and see what they stand for at we.tl slash not creepy. That's we.tl slash n-o-t-c-r-e-e-p-y. So not creepy. You make we transfer. The service is incredible. I love them so, so much. You need to be using them. Okay? Now, on with the rest of the show. That's yeah, And I appreciate you walking me through all that because I definitely think it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's important not only to, you know, share your experience, but then um, also to be able to have the perspective that you do now on it and be able to appropriately describe it um, because, I, I, you know, I think many people, when they go through uh, traumatic things like, you know, addiction and, um, you know, going through rehab and all these other things. And if they don't talk about it and share that experience and it just kind of, you know, it gets compartmentalized and you don't actually, you don't evaluate it for what it is, you know, like it just, it just exists. And that's, that's all. Yeah. It's just, it's, you can't shut the door on, on stuff like that. Uh, that's one of the things that I've like in particular learned this year. So kind of like the next, so the next thing that happened um, so long story short, I lived in a cult for a year. Uh, how I got there was interesting. So there was a, uh, there was a treatment center in Florida that there was a therapist up in Baltimore and she, she would refer patients from Baltimore down to this treatment center. And she didn't really, I don't think that she knew the full extent that how fucked up this place was. Um, because I've like, you know, interacted with her since and I, I, I don't believe she's like a terrible person or anything like that. Um, but basically my parents were desperate. They had, they like knew someone who knew somebody who's like kid had been to this treatment center in Florida and like, they were like, okay, like they were fine now or whatever. Um, so, you know, they were desperate and like, I 
so the night before my 18th birthday, I, I like, I don't know if I was roofied or it was just, I was unconscious from a combination of cocaine and alcohol or whatever else I put into my body because I don't remember. Um, but I was sexually assaulted by like somebody I, that I knew. And I, so I woke up on my front doorstep, um, like with most of like my clothes gone, no idea what the fuck was going on to like my parents, like opening the door. And I'm like, how did I get here? And, uh, I haven't drank or used like hard drugs or anything like that ever since then, because I, when I woke up on my 18th birthday and I knew what had happened to me and like, couldn't tell anybody, didn't want to like deal with it. I was just like, I can't live like this anymore because I, I'm clear. It's the drugs aren't killing me. So I need to figure out a way to, you know, exist in the world and not want to feel like this every single day, because that's just how I felt every single day was I wanted to die and the drugs weren't helping anymore. They were just making things worse. So I was pretty much like, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere, whatever. So I go down to this place in Florida and the place ends up being an extremely emotionally abusive, um, like it literally was a cult. Um, I don't really know how else to describe it other than that. Um, they, uh, basically there were people who'd been down there for about 20 years. They, you go down there and, uh, just never leave. They tell you that if you leave, you're going to relapse and die. They tell you that you can't talk to your friends or your family anymore. The only time you can talk to your family is in a session with a therapist. Uh, they take your phone. They take, you know, this was in 2006, so, you know, didn't really have like a laptop or like smartphones or anything like that. But like they take your phone, they took your, my iPod, they, you know, no computers, nothing. Uh, you basically have no contact with anybody outside of the, and this was their term for it, the community. So if they were, if someone wasn't in the community that you were not really authorized to talk to them. And once people left people in the community, never speak to you again. So you're literally excommunicated. Um, so, yeah, that's a place that I was for a year, and I managed to get out with some of my sanity still intact. They did a lot of really fucked up things to a lot of people down there. Um, and was it? I'm and, down to talk. About and it and it was under the uh, it was under the the guise of a, a basically a treatment program. Like this is. Like, yeah, I mean that's how they they ran it. Yeah, so they ran it like it's weird. It was like an outpatient program. So you go down to this place in Florida and they have a building and like you do like you do your like therapy during the day. And it was like all group therapy and all mixed gender group therapy. Oh, my God. They had like rape survivors in therapy groups with with pedophiles um, like real. It was fucked. Like they'd make like young teenage girls get up in front of a group of people that included like pedophiles and sexual abusers and talk about their trauma. It was fucked up oh. um yeah that sounds that, that, yeah that that sounds i mean I, I don't even know what it sounds like because i mean like you said i guess the best way to describe that thing is 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 a cult but like it just sounds i mean to me it just sounds like this um you know obviously a way to make money off of vulnerable people um because it, it you know Bingo. yeah like i mean it, were they uh, attempting to um 
like you know they, they were were they like teaching a doctrine or anything like that or like here's our you know here's our person that we listen to or is it just basically like here's how you can help yourself in the worst way possible so it was a little bit of all of that so they went by the typical like aa like doctrine which like i think i think that aa in and of itself and like AA like meetings and stuff across the country can be super helpful to people um I don't think that AA meetings are by any stretch of the definition a, a cure for addiction. And I think that it's really reductive and like therapy can be super helpful and like group talk things like AA and like stuff like that can also be super helpful and helps a ton of people, but they kind of bastardized a lot of it. And so every morning, everybody in the community went to the same 6 a.m. AA meeting, everybody. You were not allowed to miss it. If you missed the meeting, like I couldn't miss it because I lived in a house with like a bunch of these people. Um, so like you'd get, I didn't have a car, so they drove me everywhere. Um, but if you miss the meeting, you get like dragged up in front of group therapy and be, be like told like, Oh, like so-and-so is like in addiction. Like, and then they make you talk about it, Like a lot of like your fucking past trauma and not in like a positive and healing and growing way. They basically make you relive like past traumas that you've had in front of a group of people who don't give a shit about you. <laughs> right. And basically want to, yeah. So it, so that's would you'd go to the AA meeting in the morning and then you'd have to go to, they literally called it the ranch. I don't know if they were like trying to give us a hint that this place is a fucking cult, but we literally called this place the ranch. So we'd go to the ranch, which was the therapy center. And then usually you'd have group therapy and then you'd go to your respective jobs. Now you could work at places in the community and only at places owned and run by people in the community. There was a, the first job I had there was doing landscaping and they didn't pay us. It was really illegal, actually, what yeah, they slave, did. So slave labor. They didn't, literally slave labor. They didn't pay you, but they said that it was deducted from your cost of treatment. So, okay. Yeah, so you that, go there. Yeah, and, basically, this sounds to me like a pyramid scheme mixed up with, uh, like you said, that you know, a, a place where they will quote-unquote help you. And like, yeah, man, that's just, yeah. I'm, I, I mean... I'm glad you're not there anymore. I'm just sorry that you experienced that. That's I am too. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. And you're obviously still uh, trying to pick up the pieces of whatever damage was done there. Yeah, and it's the shittiest thing is that, like, you know, all this happened, like, 10 years ago. And, fuck, sorry. And it's like, it, I get so angry that it's still like that experience still has like its claws in me in yeah. some ways. Yeah. And it's, it's bullshit. Like, and I, you know, they they kind of had like a way of treating people there where like, there were like golden children who could do no wrong. And like, they got all these privileges like, Oh, like this person gets to have like a phone or this person gets to have a car or something like that. Um, and then there were people who were used to make examples, especially if you were, in any way, shape, or way, a defiant person. Uh, spoiler alert, it me. Uh, so, anything, so basically people figured out that, like, if you rat on people for doing whatever, or even just make shit up about people, you will get privileges, basically, for, like, calling people out. Be like, oh, like... Caroline didn't eat all of her breakfast this morning. I think that she's in food addiction. I think that she's 
like, like showing symptoms of anorexia or, and like, it would like turn into, you basically get like group shamed for shit that you may or may not have even done. Um, I got kicked out of my house that I was living in there and made to couch surf while my parents are paying for me to be like living in someone's house. They had no idea that any of this was happening. Um, I got kicked out of my house because a new girl came and she was like 13 years old. And, uh, she, I guess, picked up on like the social dynamics there very quickly and went into group one day and was like, Lauren was talking to me about drugs. And I'm like, no, I fucking wasn't. What are you talking about? And, but you know, when people have scapegoats, they have scapegoats. And so they believed her. And even after she did eventually come out in front of the group and say, like, I lied about, she said a bunch of things that she lied about. Um, she lied about being like held up at gunpoint. This girl was 13 years old. And, uh, even when she came out and said like, I'm a compulsive liar. And I lied about all of these things, including the thing with me, no one ever apologized to me. No one ever like no retributions were ever made for being forced to like couch surf for a fucking month. And like, have to like everybody I talked to, I would have to say that I did that thing. And I'm like, but I didn't do that thing. They're like, well, you have to say that you did it. So it turns into this giant mind fuck where you don't, you stop having a grasp on what's real and what they're telling you is real, which is the scariest fucking place in the universe to be. I, that to me was more traumatic of an experience than any sexual violence that I've ever endured because you, you can't trust yourself. You don't know which of your thoughts are real and you start to lose like a sense of like semblance of self and who you are. And at the same time, they're like also telling you that you have mental disorders you don't have and having to take medications that you shouldn't be on to make like probably to make you more compliant, honestly. Um, when you're fucking numbed out, you're not going to, you know, pitch a fit when someone tells you to do shit you don't want to do. You just don't care. So right. yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I really, um, yeah, I'm sorry to pick out that scab, but I mean, I really, uh, yeah, I appreciate, it's okay. I, I appreciate you, uh, laying it out like that. Cause I, you know, the more people that are aware of the, um, you know, different methods in which people use to not only make money, but then, you know, to oppress others and just like, you know, use it for yep. your own gains. It's like, you, you never know. And I mean, I, I think it's, you know, to kind of put a button on what you're the description of what you were talking about. You don't know that like why you're in it. Like, I mean, you know why you're there, but like while you're in yep. it, you're just, you're just existing. And like, you're trying to go from moment to moment as opposed to like feeling like you have yep. any semblance of control. And, um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm, ultimately I'm glad that you are out of it and you are, um, you know, even though it makes you angry to talk about that, you, uh, you, I okay. mean, I think, I, I mean, I think that anger is, is, is a positive thing. Cause I think if you were dulled so much to where you wouldn't be angry about it, then it probably, you know, it was, um, not saying that it, w it would be less of an experience and I'm sure you'd be grateful <laughs> about the, you know, the, the, the lack of anger, but right. I don't know. I, I just think, I, I think it's a, 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 an experience that is not only valid, but, uh, valid for you to, uh, express and talk about, you know? Yeah. Well, the anger is what got me out. Like, because people True. live there. People will just live their lives there. There were people who've been there for five, 10, 15, 20 years had been in the community and they just never leave. And when you do, you're ostracized. And like at my age, like I was, by the time I got out, I was 19 years old. I had 
I didn't have anything other than my family at home and this experience. So basically the, the whole like me getting out story was, I get, I like, I, I just started getting angry <laughs> and it was like the one thing that they couldn't take away from me. And I realized that in, in my anger, I had agency and that I had power and Basically, I started working. They moved me from the, the landscaping place to, like, a place that did, like, veteran benefits. There was another person in the community. They literally, like, stuck me at a desk. But it was the first time I was in front of a computer in over a year. And so I, I don't know why I did it, but I literally Googled uh, the name of the place. And the first thing that came up on the Google search, we weren't really supposed to use, like, the Internet or anything like that there, but I don't what are rules? And so the first thing that came up on the Google search was a forum with a cult recovery forum specifically for people who had been to this place. And it was just like a fucking light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, I'm not crazy. I'm not broken. Right. This place is crazy. This place is fucked up and I need to get the fuck out of here. The problem was I had no way out. If you run away, they call the police on you and they say that you're a suicide risk. So they put you in a psych ward. So that doesn't help anybody. Right. Um, so it's like I couldn't run away because they just called the fucking cops on me and put out a search in the area because they, I watched them do it for dozens of other fucking kids. So I basically started like when we'd show up at the ranch in the morning, I, I stopped taking the medications they had me on, immediately started feeling better and was like, I... I would sit there in therapy and I'd say, I'm not going to work. I want to call my parents. I want to go home. And that's pretty much all I said for like a month was I just sat there and I refused to, I refused to do anything else other than like sit there during the day. And then I'd get taken home to whoever's house I had to stay at because I'd gotten kicked out of my house again for being defiant. And, uh, it got to the point where it just became like, that was like my daily routine for a month. But then we got in a bunch of new kids and the new kids didn't want to fucking be there. And so I told the, the my therapist, I was like, listen, uh, I want you to call my parents. I want to go home or I'm going to run away and I'm going to take a bunch of these new kids with me because I know that it's kind of a pain in the ass to have to call the cops on one person. But do you want to do it for three or four? And these kids don't care. They don't want to be here. They will run away with me. Right. And they Str thought about strength, it. Strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I can be your problem and you can get rid of me or all of this is going to be your problem. And she literally sat there and just kind of looked at me and goes, okay, we'll call your parents. And that's, yeah. and, uh, and that's, that's 20, how you're able to get it. And literally there. within 24 hours, they dropped me off at the Orlando airport, like by myself with my shit. I'd never flown alone before either. So I was just like, what the fuck do I do? Right. <laughs> but, uh, right. yeah. And like my parents were weirded out because all of a the sudden their daughter's coming home. They're like, where was the exit plan? Like what's going on? Like, they're like, wait a minute, you're coming home. Wait a minute. You're coming home tomorrow. What's happening. They had no idea what the fuck was going on. And we're like really thrown and freaked out by it too. Because like they literally were just trying to get rid of me at that point. Right. right. So what's the, uh, what's the, what's the, and I was, what's the name of the place? Just so, <laughs> If other people are introduced to it, if you're allowed, <laughs> if you're allowed to say it, of course. Well, it's called 
Yeah, um, it's called Choices Counseling Center, um, which is ironic because they totally take away all of your choices there. It's not really like a thing anymore. Okay. Um, if you bother to like look it up online, you'll you'll see you'll probably a find like the cult recovery like thread. Um, it got lost for a while, but then I found it again, and uh, you'll see like in like people have posted about it on different places and their experience is very similar to mine. Um, it was actually funny. There was a Reddit thread about cults a couple of years ago that I stumbled upon it and I was like, I wonder if one of us is in here and one, of, I found another person had posted like their whole experience in there. And I was like, Oh my God, you were there too. Like, I remember you like, we're not alone. We're not crazy. Right. Right. But yeah. Right. I didn't talk about it when I got home for years because how do you tell people that like hi i'm lauren i lived in a fucking cult for a year yeah like as if people would think i'm people probably already think i'm crazy but like i did i thought people wouldn't believe me i thought like plus like you're carrying around this paranoia all the time like what if something happens what if i have to go back like what like because like I'm like, I don't know how I fucking got there. I don't know how I got out, but all I cared about was never, ever, ever going back to that place again. And so even other people who had left, I was like afraid to talk about stuff with them because I was like, you kind of just want to forget it ever happened because you want to put yourself as far away from it as you can. And, uh, I never, I didn't start talking about it actually until I was in a band and I wrote, uh, my last band, I wrote a song about it. And I didn't tell anybody what the song was about, but we'd like play it and being able to express myself in that way and have an outlet for some of those feelings. Um, was kind of like, that was the first like chink that opened up me being able to talk about it with people. And Oh my God, like a year or two ago, I never would have been able to talk about this on a fucking podcast. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, like not at all. Right. Paranoia was still there. Yeah. 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 Um, In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And kind of, uh, kind of hitting on that, uh, the topic of you, you're saying, cause I mean, Sharp Tooth obviously is not your first band. Like you mentioned, what was the name of your previous band? If you, uh, allow that information to be divulged. <laughs> yeah. So my, uh, so my, well, my first ever band was a, was a like progressive ska band called at the zoo. And, uh, it was kind of like the Mars Volta with trumpets. 
it was really fun. I love that band. That, that band name is actually like, cause normally ska bands are obviously like, you know, whatever, you know, Lauren, this gate, Lauren and the skankers or something, but like, that's, that's an actually good, (laughs) that's, that's like a good ska band name. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't come up with it. I take no credit for that name, but like, I love the name when they asked me to play, I was like, at the zoo, such a sick name. And like, obviously like at the time I was in college and like studying zoology and I'm like, it's so perfect for me. Like I'm a zoologist. I'm in a band called at the zoo. My brand is complete. Uh, but we, we were together for like maybe like three years or something. And, uh, it broke up cause people get older and like all that shit. It was never like a super serious band. Um, then my second band was a band that I started with my buddy Austin and it was called highest honor. It was like a combination pop punk and hardcore band. I don't say that we're an easy core band because we literally, we had songs that were like pop punk songs. And then we had songs that were definitively straight up hardcore songs. So we were just like, let's be both genres and just play a set. That's just a mix of both. Right. And, uh, so the song, the song that was about choices uh, is called there's something in the water. And, uh, it's, it's available. It's floating around on the internet. You can listen to me scream terribly. And, uh, <laughs> it was a fun song. Though. I, I, I love that song. That became like, that was like our, our set closer all the time, which was pretty, I don't know if like, that's also another thing that helped me like open up about it because like, here's all these people who were like singing these words about this traumatic experience that I had. And like, you suddenly don't feel alone in it, even though it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty like lonely experience and like something that not a lot of people have been through, but yeah, feeling like a sense of community, especially surrounding like, here's this traumatic thing I went through. I think that was really helpful for me also being able to talk about it more. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Honor was a lot of fun. Got it. Got it. That's cool. So, and, and you know, then as things, I mean, clearly you were, you know, pursuing all of this, like, you know, what, like while you mentioned that, you know, you were, you were going to school and, you know, studying biology and, you know, clearly you have a love for, uh, you know, reptiles and <laughs> everything of the, yes. you know, the, <laughs> of the creepy crawly bunch. But, you know, what, like, yes. Was your, is your vision to kind of, you know, exist in both worlds or would you be like, Hey, if the band thing will be like your thing, like that is what you will pursue. Like you're like, Oh, I'll be a full-time touring person, whatever that may mean. Um, no. So how, how do those two worlds kind of coincide with one another? So I never had any ambition, even being in a band that toured because at the time when I was in, when I was in highest honor, I was working at the national aquarium in Baltimore and like finishing up my, like my zoology degree. And like, I'm working at one of the like most prestigious, like zoological organizations in the country. It's like, I'm working my dream job, but I'm also like music hasn't always has been like such an important part of my life. When I, you know, when I went to art school, like I was, I was a voice major and did theater and that's like something I've always been really passionate about, but I never expected anything I ever did in a band to go anywhere. Uh, I guess cause I'd never like, that just never seemed like an option to me. Um, there were a lot of, I was like, these are going to be the two parts of my life that are super important. Like I'm always going to want to play music. Um, I'm always going to want to create music and create art in that way. That's, that was the most important part of it to me. It wasn't about like making it or touring or being even well known or anything like that. I literally just wanted to have an opportunity to get on a stage and express myself. Um, 
but with sharp tooth, like things started to change because I was at a different job that they kind of gave me a lot more leniency with being able to like, like leave if I wanted to like play a show that was like out of state or something like that. Um, the place that I work now, it's called eco adventures and they, the way that it works is like, I'll get booked on like events to like go and like take animals to like schools and libraries and stuff and do educational programs with them. So if I'm out of town, they just don't book me on stuff. They book another instructor. Um, cause we have a bunch of people there, but when I'm in town, I, they will book me on things. So it, it works for touring very well. And they're super supportive of sharp tooth and everything that we're doing. But yeah, I literally, I never had any ambition in being in the quote unquote successful band because that just wasn't something that I saw as being possible. I don't know if that's because I'm a woman and didn't really see other women doing that. Like they're, you know, especially in the music that I like, like I like, melodic hardcore and metalcore and like what women are there in metalcore like modern metal metalcore not talking about like arch enemy and like you know bands like that but there's like nobody there's literally fucking nobody there was i wrestled a bear once and that's it (laughs) yeah 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 so which like hell yeah good for them but like that just never seemed like anything remotely within the realm of possibility for me. I literally was just happy to be on a stage. And then with sharp tooth, uh, they asked me to join the band back in like December of 2014. And like, I'd known the guys like through the music scene and I I liked everybody. And, but I was like, I don't want to like play like pop punk music anymore. Cause like my love has always been like metalcore and hardcore. And I was like, I want to play heavy music. And I also don't want to feel like I need to censor myself at all. They were like, no, 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 no. That's why we asked you. Like, like they know that like, I'm like a pretty outspoken, like political activist in the area. And like, they'd seen highest honor and like, had heard me talk like at our shows and stuff. And they were like, no, that's why we're asking you. We wanted like, we want you and all of your shit in this band. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And then once we started working together, I mean, like, kind of like a a world of opportunity opened up for me because it was like within the first month of us playing our, like a show, we've written three brand new songs and songs where like, I get to scream the whole time. And I'm like, this is so sick. Like I finally am getting to be in a band. That's like the music that I listen to. Like I'm also getting to write and play like, like that really lit a fire in me. And how ambitious the other guys in the band were about it. They were like, yeah, we want to tour. And I'm like, I've never even thought about that. Like, okay. Like I'm down to try it. And the next thing I know I'm booking us, I'm booking our tours, which like I have no fucking experience in this, but I'm doing it anyway. And we're doing East coast runs like for like a week and they're going really well. And like, I'm, it basically just kind of like it all snowballed. Like I never had any expectations for sharp tooth because I actually joined it when I was still in highest honor. And I was like, Oh, it'll be like a side project for me. And, uh, here we are. Right. Tour and touring and, and, and doing the thing. Um, well, no, I mean that, that's the, I think most things, uh, that people do from a creative endeavor standpoint are, uh, unintentional. Like, I mean, yes, there are many things where people have like a very, you know, deliberate focus and work hard at it and, you know, that, and then bring it to life and then everybody likes it. Like that exists too. But, um, I think the, the, uh, expectation of just like, Oh, I, I just want to do this cause it's fun. And then people identify that 
and it resonates with them. And they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, it wasn't like some overarching plan to be like, all right, well, you know, sharp tooth is the next rise. We're going to make it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. (laughs) Here's the, here's the business. I think that a lot of bands that, oh yeah, I think a lot of bands that go into it with the idea of, they're like, like, let's start a band to be a successful band. Like, fucking okay do you have any idea how many bands like don't go anywhere 99 percent of them like and that's kind of the mentality that i always had like i never i never had any expectations for shark tooth because it always seemed unrealistic so i was like let's just enjoy it for what it is and make the best of what it was and doing and in doing that that opened up a lot of doors for us because we just were showing up like not trying to make money or like fucking sell anything or get on like i don't know like like be big. I never care. I never gave a shit about that. I, I just wanted to get to, you know, express myself. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that that resonated with people. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like you can tell when a band is like in it for like the trying to get big or trying to be famous or like shit like that. And I always get like a weird vibe from people who like are kind of like that. And I'm like, eh, I don't really see it that going anywhere because i think people can tell when when shit's genuine and when shit isn't so yeah no no i don't know absolutely <laughs> absolutely no i i agree i agree wholeheartedly um the uh, the last thing i want to hit on was the um you know clearly the you know the the message that the you know the that you and the band are are expressing um you know it couldn't be more in the open like <clears throat> anybody could you know look at your record and be like oh okay like i, I see where it is that the, you guys are coming from um yep. and, and i mean i guess this kind of ties back to what we were talking at the very top of the conversation but like the, is there concern as you're heading into, you know, future records, future tours, future songs and stuff like that and future issues that you want to discuss that, you know, the more obvious you are, the more um, that people can kind of ignore it just because you're written off or it's just like, oh, yeah, like I see, you know, again, I'm predetermining what it is that they're going to be talking about in regards to this. Um, or, or is that is that something that um, you're weighing in, um, but not using that as like your focal point as you move forward? That's a good question. Um, I think that for me, you know, it's kind of like what I was just saying, like at the end of the day, it's about expressing myself and creating music that gives me a space to be honest and authentic about what's going on in my life, which, you know, a lot of people might look at, clever girl is being a protest record about like, Oh, here they're writing about these issues, but it's not like I went into it going like, these are issues I want to talk about. I went into it going like, this is my experience with these things. And I want to be able to express that. Like this song's about like my experience and being catcalled and how much it hurts me. Or like this song is about my experience with being ostracized for like having a substance abuse problem. So for me, I think that, the road ahead has always been about writing from my personal experience and the things that are going on in my life that I think I need to talk about. It hasn't been like, Oh, let's go through the New York times and see what the issues are. Like, it's not, that's not who I am. That's not who I'll ever be. And I've had people come up and be like, Oh, you should try writing about this. I'm like, yeah, if that's something that is resonating with me, like on a personal level. And I feel like that's the song that needs to be written. I'll write it. 
But if it doesn't, I don't ever want to like sit down and be like and write a song about a specific issue that isn't coming from like a place of my own personal experience with it because then it just feels forced and it's just kind of like yeah, like a list of the hot button topics. I think that's that's bullshit. So the record that we've been working on now because we started writing our second record, it's super personal. Um, but again, like I, you know, just like Clever Girl, I think that it's it has a lot of universal like relatability and appeal. I think that the human experience in and of itself has the potential to be controversial because we're all experiencing so much different things. And the fact that there isn't a lot of like female representation in like metalcore and hardcore, like some of the things I, I talk about are going to end up inherently like touching on stuff like that, because that's just my experience. Um, but it always comes from a place of, of deep personal emotional connection. Like it's never going to come from, I want, I want to write about X, Y, Z topics. Um, right. It's going to come from, I'm fucking angry that this has happened to me. I'm fucking upset that this has happened to someone I know. Like it's coming from there. And I think that if you're coming from a place of true, like, personal emotional connection to things, then, then it will resonate with the people it's meant to resonate with. Um, right. Right. Yeah. So, and I, I, it's art, you know? Yeah, no, no, totally, totally. Um, and even though I said that was the last thing, there's actually, there's one other thing just because, I mean, this is something that I, um, uh, I, I think about in regards to, um, I mean, like I, I, saying and slash sing in hardcore bands as well. And like uh, just the, the notion, yeah. the notion of being, um, you know, upfront and people, you know, clearly pay attention to the singers of bands. And then there's always that, um, you know, uh, idolation standpoint of like, you know, I mean, from my perspective where it's just like, Oh, like a girl talked to me because I sing for a band, like, and you know, they might not have ever done that <laughs> you, you know, previously because I just happened to be at this, this, you know, position and playing in front of, you know, human beings or whatever you know, um, and, and clearly, you know, kind of flipping the scenario like that happens to you. I'm sure where people are like, Oh my gosh, like <laughs> Lauren, she's so dreamy because she sings for a hardcore band or whatever. And, oh my God. But, but I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using that as a exaggerated claim, but like, I'm sure there's been instances in which you, um, you know, people pay attention to you, um, you know, from a, you know, physical attraction standpoint, because they're like, Oh wow, Lauren, you know, Lauren's a singer of a band or whatever. Um, how have you kind of like navigated that? Because, you know, it, it's, it, you know, it feels weird initially and then you, you get used to it, but then there are certain instances where you aren't used to it. And so I don't know, like how, uh, how have you navigated that personally? It's been interesting. Um, basically like for me, I just try to connect with people as honestly and as authentically as I can in whatever form that that, looks like and that that served me generally fairly well um but yeah there definitely have been like there's definitely like always an undercurrent of like is this person just hanging out with me because i'm in a band or is like this person just like talking to me because like because of sharp tooth like you wonder if people like you for you um you wonder if my biggest thing that i carry around all the time i'm like I worry that everybody just thinks I'm weird and annoying and they only tolerate me because I'm in sharp tooth. And like, I worry that about even like my close friends. And I know that that's my own personal, like 
paranoia and insecurity. Um, but yeah, it definitely trickles down into interactions with other people. For me, at least, like, that's why it, like, it's like a blessing and a curse to, no, most of my friends are also musicians. So, like, they kind of get it too. So we can connect in that way. Been like, you know, we at least understand and, and see the world and emotionally connect to the world and to music in similar ways. So we have that common ground. Um, but yeah, almost all of like my, you know, the, the people close to me are artists as well. So I think that I've been fortunate in that I'm not alone in that. It is kind of weird to be sometimes to be like one of the only like women in like my social circle dealing with those things, but you reach out and you find other women in bands and like be able to connect with that too. Um, so yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I, I know it's a, it's a ever evolving thing. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think too, like once, once you are a certain age, it's easier to navigate that, um, attention just because like, you know, you know what you're more comfortable in your own skin, you know what you like and you don't like, but you know, when you're whatever, 18, 19, 20 years old, and like all of a sudden someone pays attention to you that, you know, would have never paid attention to you before. And then you're kind of like, oh, yeah, of course I like you. I'll go out on a date with you or whatever, you know, like you're just, you're, I just, never, you're <laughs> just happy about the attention. I'm funny. So I'm like, I'm very open about who I am and like, like my needs and stuff. Like I'll tell anybody, I'm like, yeah, I really like attention. Like I'm about it. And like, if I'm not getting enough attention, like I tell my friends, I'm like, guys, I want attention right now. Like, and I think that kind of takes the pressure off everybody involved because then it's just like (laughs) funny. Um, but yeah, I will never pretend that I don't enjoy the attention of others. I feel like it'd be a little weird for me to be getting, on stage for as much of my life as I have, if I had a problem with other people's attention, like I totally enjoy that. And like, I definitely, I, for sure though, I can't imagine doing this at like 18 or 19. Like, I feel like that would fuck me up like so much. And I don't know how other artists survive doing this young. Like I'm, I'm almost 30, even though I look like a fucking 12 year old college kid. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be real here. I mean, I fit in the 12 year old clothing, so it's fine. Um, so I, I think that being older and just basically like I've, you know, I've dealt with like attention like that for being like in plays and stuff and like being in, you know, not necessarily like a big, like quote unquote, big band, like sharp tooth, but like being in other bands before and getting attention just for being like, Oh, like, Oh, it's the cute girl in the band. Like, you know, you kind of can tease out people who are just kind of looking at you just for that. And like people who actually want to like have a connection with you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, that's a very, 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 (laughs) very valid point. Well, uh, Lauren, this is, uh, this has been awesome. I really, really appreciate you. Uh, yeah. Just going, going through all this. This was very uh, enlightening and went to places, uh, I didn't expect. So I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate this so much. And I appreciate like, that you've created an environment where I guess like not only just me, but like other people feel like we can get vulnerable and talk about like, like the real shit as opposed to just like surface stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah cause, cause you, that, that means a lot to me. Well, good, good. Yeah. Cause you know what I don't care about how tour is going right now. I don't care. I'm sorry. I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Oh,
Wowie zowie, right? And I, I, I don't mean to like sounds like I'm maybe making like wowie zowie, like that story was crazy. I'm not making light of it. I really, 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 truly appreciate Lauren sharing this with me and sharing this with all of you because uh, I know that she was, uh, you know, a little nervous uh, as we were kind of navigating this. But uh, yeah, she really trusted the process, as it were. So thank you very much, Lauren. Thank you very much for uh, everybody who suggested that I had Lauren on the show because I had a few people email me uh, as far as talking to her and speaking to her. And uh, yeah, for those of you that have had a traumatic experience like this and have gone through something like this, like I'm as cliched as this sounds, like I am here for you. 100 words podcast at gmail.com. Um, you know, I, I just, when you're sharing these stories and when you are trying to connect to people, uh, that's kind of the whole point of building this, this community. And so the fact that Lauren shared her story and wanted to put that out there uh, is really meaningful. And if I can help you in any capacity from the loneliness perspective, I'm here for you as well. So uh, what do we have next week? We have a old friend of mind, mind, mine. Sometimes I say that, an old friend of mind, <laughs> no, mine, Leander Glover-Smith. He is uh, a dude from the UK, and he has been managing bands for quite some time. He manages Neck Deep. He managed Architects for a long time, has just been a very, very good friend from a music industry perspective. Like, that's how I met him, but we really connected, and uh, last time he was out here in the US, we sat down for a really, really fun conversation because I think the UK music scene is so incredibly different than here in the US. And uh, yeah, he highlights a lot of that because uh, yeah, it's it's a very interesting discussion. So that's what we have in the can for next week. And uh, until then, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Hi, I'm Esther Dean. I've made my life by writing songs like Fireworks by Katy Perry, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, What's My Name by Rihanna, just to name a few. And now I'm having an absolute blast sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned with upcoming songwriters on Songland on NBC. I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast, giving you new insight into the magical art of songwriting as told by some of the best in the business and also the pioneers and the up-and-comers who will be shaping the hits you'll be listening to for years. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. Don't miss Songland, Monday nights at 10, 9 central, and join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts.